once again to the Perimeter Church Podcast. David led Israel through a faith walk to collect the resources needed to build the temple. David wouldn't see the temple built, but he did see the people's faith built. And on that day, they ate and drank before the Lord with great gladness. Lead teacher Randy Pope adds to the series Faith Walking with the first part of this message entitled Celebrating Our Faith Walk, which covers 1 Chronicles chapter 29, verses 1 through 22. Thank you for joining us today. Our Father in heaven, we thank you for the great privilege that we have now to worship you. What a special service in the life of this church. And we pray, make it a blessing. Certainly we would pray first and foremost that you would be honored, you would be blessed because of what we do. And we pray that your family here at Perimeter would find it to be a blessing as well. So we thank you and we pray in the great name of Christ our Savior. Amen. Significant milestones have taken place in God's kingdom uh, throughout the history of God's people. And uh, they have been celebrated in different ways. But those milestones are very, very significant. And they, they have a due attention given to them in the Old Testament. Now, there were numerous such occasions, certainly, in the Old Testament. But one that stands out, perhaps, is as the most glorious of all, was the building of the temple. The building of the temple. Now, the building of the temple was uh, to replace what was called the tabernacle that had been taken from place to place with the people of Israel. Now they have their promised land. It's time to build that thing called the temple. So great attention and unusual resources were given to it. Now, in a a similar way, at Perimeter Church, we've had certain milestones through the history of the 37-plus years of Perimeter. We've been talking about them and through the years have given them the name, our ministry and campus development projects. And they they are periods in the life of our church where we start thinking, okay, God, now where in the next years? And then we provide the resources and so forth to be able to move to that next place in the life and the development of the church. Now through this 11 that we've gone through up till now, some unusual things have happened. We've had the, we've had the building, or uh, the purchase first of all of our first property and the building of the facilities which were, it was an amazing thing that happened. If you were back then, and most of you weren't, but if you were with us at that time, we still scratch our head and say, how did that happen? How in the world did it happen? with a little band of people, and this, but God was very gracious, and through those folks, we hit a milestone at that point. Uh, I think of a wild milestone of when we relocated to this facility, and if anybody knows the story, many of you do uh, to some degree, uh, you know, I mean, the likelihood of, probably the likelihood of making that relocation happen was... Uh, was probably on the par of Alabama winning last night. I would say it would be very similar to that. I don't know. But, you know, that's the first time I've ever said anything about Alabama victory. I've never said anything to now. But anyway, it's only because it made a good spiritual point that I brought that up. You understand. But, I mean, it was unlikely. It was like, how in the world would this ever happen? It can't happen. And it did happen. 
And so a great milestone at that point. Some of you remember when we added, as we call it, the hand, the serving hand to the head of good in-depth theology and a heart of passion for worship and evangelism. And we said, we don't know what this is going to do as we shift resources to this side now and do all these things differently and add this to compete with others. What's going to happen in the life of our church? We had no idea. Uh, But the milestones just go on and on and on in the life of this church. Now we come to our 12th milestone. To prepare us for this particular one, we've been doing what we've been calling our vision awareness. You know, we have never, never had anywhere close to the number of people who attended the vision awareness as we've had this time. Nothing even close. An enthusiasm that I've never seen among the people of this church. We've had a teaching series Teaching series is a five-part series that, that really dealt with five principles coming out of the story of Israel to understand a concept called faith walking, the greatest gift to the Lord. I was reading in Hebrews this morning, and the great gift that God gives to us for him, oddly enough, he provides and we give it, is the gift of faith. And as we provide faith and we live by faith, what an honor to our God, and so we've We've been teaching about faith walking. We had a five-part short movie series that uh, we've been watching in the church with a study guide. And it's a great illustration of uh, several people in their own faith walk that just illumined what we're doing to help us understand all the better. During this time, we have, we have had uh, our little memorial coins. I hope you've been using those, these little coins that brought back to memory the story of Israel and and how the important aspect for them is for us that we remember the the incredible power of God, that we think in terms of of his promises and how his promises are always true and to remind us that he is the present one and when we put those together, it just reminds us of of the faith walk and how we need to engage further and prompts us along. During that time, we've had an invite that all the elders and deacons of this church have been gathering together on uh, the early mornings at uh, Monday through Friday here at the church to be praying throughout this entire month for this uh, milestone endeavor that we're looking at. The last week, this past week, we invited the congregation who would like to join and join us in the early mornings for prayer. And then during that time, we said, now let's also introduce you to fasting if you've never fasted before. And so I actually had the opportunity to meet with a group of uh, men that are friends that were in a a group of of, uh, elders that that just called themselves together and said, let's as a team pledge to, to walk this first fast together. They had never fasted before. And then after three-day fast, they came together and asked me to join them just to to interact with them since so many of them were close friends and some of them have been in groups that I've been leading and so forth. I said, I'd love to go. And so I do, and I hear their stories, and it's just remarkable. They said, man, this is what happened in my experience, and here's how I heard God, and here's what. It was just fun to listen to their story and how God used them. Many of you have such stories. And then in addition to that, and most importantly, we've been walking through a personal endeavor to meet God in our own faith walk and invite him to show us in our finances where, where, does, that, where does that connect for us. 
that we know the truth, that where our treasure is, there our heart is. And, and we've kept saying over and over, the issue is not their treasure. The issue is the heart. I'll tell you this with, with great sincerity. I, I've been far, far, far more interested in the endeavor of people who have not taken faith walks and people who are so early on that they needed to learn and start the faith walk, knowing once they get it started, oh my goodness, what it's going to do in their lives. We've made a shift, in fact, in what we had planned to do. It had been planned that we would this week take our offerings and then in two weeks we would celebrate as we would be able to say, here's what the offerings have been and here's what can be done and so forth and so on. And as I thought through it, I said, I don't think that's the right thing. I think what we need to do is let's spend the next two weeks, this week and next, and let's celebrate the great work of God. Let's celebrate what he's done in our lives. Let's celebrate what he's done in the past uh, through his kingdom work here and, and what we anticipate for the future. Very appropriate to celebrate, even as we're going to see in the book of First Chronicles that the Israelites did. And then the third week, two weeks from now, we'll announce the gifts, but there's no fanfare for that. That's not the important thing. It's what's happening in our lives. So we're going to celebrate that. And I want to teach to that end. By the way, for you that are our guests that are coming here, and particularly, I'm always concerned and interested in those who are trying to figure out the Christian faith and say, you know, I'm exploring, I'm investigating. Now, I realize that uh, for many, many, many people that I've talked to about Christianity through the years, so very many of them have this uh, awareness about the church because, as they say, they're always trying to get their hand in my pocket to get my money. They're always talking about money. And, and there's a sense in which I would want to apologize and say, sorry, you're catching us in this once every three years when we do this. But the truth of it is, is I think that I'm glad you are here because that is where most people are wary about the church today. And so you get to catch us in that moment for us, though as rare as it may be, and you would say, you know what, if I can believe and find myself saying, I like what I hear this church doing in an area like this, then maybe it'll be a good way for you to evaluate maybe this church for your future, who knows. So with that, I'm going to invite you, if you will, to turn in your Bibles to the book of First Chronicles. As you do, we're going to be preparing by looking at Israel's milestone, this building of the temple. And as we do so, I want you to keep in mind that David is the king of Israel at this time. David is the same one, for you that are new to the Bible, who is called the psalmist that we often read about and hear about. Gives us the psalms. David has built the, uh, the kingdom through the people and now... It's time to build a temple for the worship of God's people and the worship of their God. And so David is over the stewardship campaign that they're having during this important milestone in their experience. Now, he announces that Solomon, his son, will be actually doing the building. So he will be actually the building campaign director director, so to speak, but, but it's David's job to raise up the resources from the congregation of the Israelites. And so today we look about celebrating a great work, part one, first Chronicles 29, and we're going to look through 
through verse 22 by the end of next week, but this week we go one, verses 1 through 8. And we're going to look at the first two, the first of two reasons that they would celebrate, and they're going to be the same reasons that we celebrate, just to put it all into perspective. So let's look at the first of the two truths. The one we look at this week is Israel celebrated because they gave to a worthy cause. That's why they celebrated. They gave to a worthy cause. Now we look at two teachings that come out of that text over that broader thought. And the first one is this. The temple construction was a worthy cause for this reason, because the work was great. Those will be the words we will see of David. And so in the text of 1 Chronicles 29, let's read verse 1. And all we have to do is look at this first half of verse 1. We'll pick up on the second half in a minute. But it says, Then King David said to the entire assembly, My son Solomon, who alone God has chosen, is still young and inexperienced. And then it says, And the work is great. We can hold there. And the work is great. That was no small undertaking to build this temple. Uh, the best guesstimates say that in a, the dollars of U.S. today, the equivalent would be probably over a billion dollars, the value, the cost of building this incredible temple. So it was not a small task for these people. It was great for a number of reasons, and here is primarily the reason. Up to this time, the tabernacle has been, it's a tent, a place of God's dwelling, a place to present before the Lord as the holy priest would, uh, high priest would go before in representation of the people. And that thing has been picked up and moved and picked up and moved as they've been moving around and so forth. And now, as I mentioned, they have their holy land. Now it's time to have a permanent location for the dwelling of God. And so they build this temple and within the temple... You perhaps have heard this, some of you are new to the Bible, maybe you've heard it, maybe not, but it was called the Holy of Holies. I mean, that was the place no person could walk in. In fact, to walk in would mean death. No one could stand before the presence of God in the Holies of Holies. Except with the exception of the high priest one day a year it was a time called the Day of Atonement. Today it's known as Yom Kippur. And that one day the priest could enter. Now when he came in, he would see many things, but the thing I want to focus on would be this, this thing called the Ark of the Covenant. The Ark of the Covenant was there and it, it actually was a box that uh, contains several things, a manna and a rod and different things. But the important thing for us right now is it contained the Ten Commandments. That's where the commandments dwelt. That's called the law of God, often called the law of Moses, but it's God's law. It's a summation of everything God would ever teach his people, would ever say to his people in God's word. But it was summarized through these ten moral laws. So that dwelt in the Ark of the Covenant. Then you found that there was a, a lid that was on top of that that was made of gold. And this was a, it was known as the mercy seat. And if you were to go in as the high priest, you would see the Shekinah glory that would hover on that seat. 
That's the dwelling of God. God is a spirit. He's not a man as we would be. And so there was a representation through his glory's presence, and there was actually the presence of God as if he was seated on his throne. It was this very place that blood had to be sprinkled once a year. Now, here was the thinking behind that. The, the Greek for the word mercy seat, and you see the word used in Hebrews 9 in the fifth verse, and it means that which makes propitiation. Now, that made it clear, didn't it? Now you understand? Well, what do you mean? What is that word? Propitiation, and the word literally, a turning away of wrath by offering or by sacrifice. It's interesting that when you come to the book of Romans, the great book of theology, when you come to the third chapter, you see these words in the teaching that Jesus is our propitiation. It is Jesus that turns away the wrath of a God that would come against us who have broken the law. And here was the idea that the priest would come and would take the blood of a lamb and would sprinkle it on the mercy seat. And the whole idea and the teaching was simply a way of saying, I can only show mercy when the blood of the lamb covers the violated law. Now, you that are new to the faith, very important to understand, God had said from the beginning of his people, his creation, he said, here's the way it works. If you sin, you must die. That's not just a physical death. We're talking about eternal separation from a holy God. But God, in his great love, generosity, kindness, mercy, grace, he said, you know what? There is a way of escape. And the only way is through propitiation. In other words, it's through atonement, someone atoning, someone paying for the sins that you and I deserve to pay. And so the imagery there was when the priest came in, he would put the blood on, on top of that seat, the mercy seat. And the idea is it is the blood, the mercy of God's shed blood that we would ultimately see in the life of Jesus as he dies being represented that unless the blood covers the law which has been broken, there can be no mercy. But with the blood, there is always mercy. And that was the great teaching that the Old Testament people understood. And it was, it was driven and woven into the life stream of the people of Israel. But they began to lose sight of it. It was ceremonial, okay, do it, do it, do it. And then they got away from it, just like people in Christian churches today. There are churches right now, and they're sitting there saying, I'm at church because I want God to like me, and God will like me if I do this, and if I give some money, and if I do some good works, and you know, if I'm a good moral person, that God's going to take care of me when I die, and it's the same thing. He said, no, 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 no. You all have violated the law. But there is mercy to be found. But the mercy is applied only through the shed blood of the Lamb. In this case, the Lamb of God. You see, mercy is founded on something. It's founded on law. Never overlooking law. 
but it has to be covered by someone taking the payment for what has happened. Many of you were here last week and I shared the story of, of a taxi driver that uh, one of our staff members and I were riding with and we got uh, in, you know, in a conversation. He was a Muslim and, and us being Christians, it came to be a great discussion about the difference in our religions and what we believe and so forth. And as I mentioned last week, you know, he goes back to Abraham and that's the father, you know, of the many nations and, and the, the, the beginning of their faith and so forth. And we said, well, you know, Abraham is our father too and father of the faith that we have. We, we go back to Abraham and, and uh, they had their prophets and so we have our prophets and I mentioned all that. And and then we came to the big dividing point, and that was, I said, let me ask you, do you, do you do anything wrong? Well, yeah, I do something wrong. Did Muhammad do anything wrong? Yeah, Muhammad did wrong things. Well, how, did you get, how do you get forgiven? There's the big question. How do you get forgiven? And the answer, oh, we repent. We repent of our sins. And see, now we understand that Without a mercy seat, without the blood that covers the law on our behalf, we can't find forgiveness. What he's saying is, I merit my own forgiveness as I stay in my sinful condition. No, it doesn't happen. It's because of what he does for us. Folks, that is the great work. The work of the temple was showing off and showcasing and illustrating and declaring this incredibly great story that God has done on our behalf what we couldn't do for ourselves. And therefore, even with our sin, it can be covered. It, I mean, sin doesn't stop when you become a Christian. All of us as Christians attest to that. But it's covered, it's forgiven. Not because we confess our sin. But as we confess our sin, what we're doing is we're saying, God, I'm counting on you. And the result of what you've done for me drives me to confess my sin. And that's the Christian life right there. Now, understanding that, we say, well, that's a great work. And it is. There, there's not a greater work that could ever be described at all. And now we come, and my transition from that to application would be, Folks, what's happening at perimeter is a great work. And immediately your response would be what mine would be and say, whoa, 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 whoa. Are you comparing the work of this church and the work of the temple? I say, yeah, exactly. Just like I would say this. Do you familiar with Ephesians 5? Ephesians 5 talks about the husband and wife role. And it says of the husband, it says, husbands, love your wives just as Christ loves who? The church. Now I say, whoa, 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 Lord, are you saying that I am going to love Carol the same way that you have loved the church and you're going to put that as a comparison? That's stretching it a little too far, I think, because let me tell you, you're perfect. You never did anything or you love to perfection and I fail and I, I seek to love, but I fail in this way and that way. And uh, you shouldn't even put those two together in scripture. And he says, no, 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 you don't get what I'm saying. He says, I'm not talking about in magnitude. I'm talking about in type. Even as I love the church by sacrificing 
You won't do it to the same degree, Randy, but you sacrifice for your wife. In the same way that I protect my church, would you protect your wife? It's a picture of the same, but you say, but, but they're so different. They are different to degree, but not in type. And likewise, every church who is living to the glory of God is doing the same type. And it is a great work when done for the right reasons. It is a great work. And even as the, the temple and what they did was celebrated because it was such a great work, well, the great works of God should be celebrated as well. They're equally milestones, not to the same degree, but in a very, very special way. Now, having said that, well, what are we, what is this milestone? Some of you didn't go to vision awareness. Well, just to give it in a quick summary, uh, there are a lot of things taking place. We're birthing the, uh, a fellows program with 60 uh, or so at one time being here in a fellows program of young leaders learning and, and being, you know, brought up into to leadership uh, possibilities and all kinds of arenas of, of service to Christ. Uh, we're talking about expanding our kids' quest and our, our kids' discipleship from two times a weekend to six times a weekend. We're talking about starting our uh, kids' quest community, uh, which will include our iArts Academy, Impact Arts Academy, and, and studios. We're talking about expanding our adult worships from five services each weekend to 10 services per weekend. We're talking about enlarging our camp program from being 9,000 kids a summer to 12,000 kids. We're talking about certifying and hiring 20 or so life on life associate staff members so we can do clinics in multiple global cities around the world at one time. We're talking about launching the Atlanta Leadership Center so that we can take the eight channels of cultural influences we've talked about and now not just serve through the community of collection of churches through Unite, serving all the needs that are around us, but in addition to that, not instead of, to start equipping and training with biblical and world and life view out of those eight cultural areas of influence and sending the people back into those areas to change the city that we live in. We're talking about the growth of our kingdom investment well beyond the $11 million uh, matching uh, that we've gotten so far and to update our lobbies and our auditorium here and, uh, and the uh, technologies and so forth from the 90s to take it to the, to the teens, to be you know, connected to the next generation as closely as possible. You add that to the 200 and whatever ministries that are going on every week around this church, and I'll tell you, it's a great thing. It is. It's a great work that God is doing. And it's a great work if it's done for the right reason, which we're going to have to look at as well. But why not celebrate? It's a great work that God has done in our hearts to get us on our faith walk. It's a great work what he does in his kingdom, wherever he does kingdom work, when done for the right reason. And so, number one reason, it is a great work. Let's look secondly what he teaches about this work. He says the temple was a worthy cause because it was for God, not for man. The first verse again, and I'll take you to the second part. It says, for the temple is not for man, but for the Lord God. There is a very important statement there. It's not for the individual people. Oh, this is what I want for me. But Lord, we're doing this because we think this is what you would have us to do. Now, I had a call from a, a, a dear friend of mine in another city who's a leadership of a great church, not a pastor, but just a lay leader in a, in a great church. And, 
And he said, uh, hey, Randy, our church has decided to put X million of dollars into, and he told me what they were going to do with the money. He said, do you think that's a good investment of our money to put that kind of money into that kind of work? And I said, there's not a way in the world I can answer that question. Now, you can answer the question because I would ask you this. As you look at your church, do you think that they're doing that in order to accomplish a God-given mission? Or is it being done for comfort, for personal desire, for interest of their own? And the answer to the question would make me say yes or no. You see, it's not an issue of what do you do. The issue is why do you do it? Do you do it for the Lord? A part of a God-given mission that you're convinced? Then absolutely. By the way, you need to be reminded our mission stated like this. It's to make and, develop, uh, and deploy mature and equip followers of Christ for the sake of family, community, and global transformation. So we have to ask what we're doing. Is it going to enhance this, what we believe, a God-given mission? And good. If it's done from the heart, great thing. We're excited about it. So let's look at Israel. Verses 2 through 5, we see David making his offering, and it goes like this. Now, with my ability, I have provided for the house of my God the gold for the things of gold, the silver for the things of silver, the bronze for the things of bronze, the iron for the things of iron, and wood for the things of wood, onyx, stones, and inlaid stones, stones of uh, antimony, and stones of various colors, and all kinds of precious stones, and alabaster in abundance. Moreover, in my delight in the house of my God, that is the key phrase, in my delight in the house of my God. There is his motive. The treasure I have of gold and silver I give to the house of my God over and above all that I have already provided for the holy temple. And he gives his story right there. It's interesting, as he gives his story, uh, we have to ask the question, uh, is that appropriate? I mean, he's, is he not kind of boasting about his big giving? Let me tell you, I wrestled with that two weeks ago as I shared Carol in my story. Is it wrong to tell your story about your giving, about anything you do as good works? It depends. You know, in Matthew 6 in the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus said, don't let your right hand know what your left hand is doing. And then you follow just a little further. You go back to, uh, I think it's 516. It's already said this. It says, by the way, let your light shine before men in such a way that they may see your good works and glorify your Father who is in heaven. The real issue is, what is the motive of the heart? And I've got to assume that David was saying, I'm delighting in the house of my God. And I, I, want, to, I want to lead you and hear, here's my story, and to know that I'm here giving, and, and I want you. Now, is it a... Is he in some way just challenging them or is he in some way maybe putting them under a pressure? I don't think so. I think he's saying, okay, here. And so I shared the story a few weeks ago, if you missed it, Carol and I have been walking through our faith journey and what we were going to do this year is we've done each of the 11 times before and, and we came to the point, we said, all right, we've been blessed to be able to learn early, you know, the idea of tithing and we've been able to build on the tithe and add from year to year through that time and now we're at this point in our giving and and so we see three years and we took the little card you have and we said, let's, let's add a percent each year. We think we can do one more percent per year, Lord willing. And, and the, through that year, then we think that kind of looks where we're headed. And then we said, okay, what can we give in terms of a pledge that God might provide that, 
that we'll pray for and make it a request. And if he provides, great. If he doesn't, you know, that's great too. It's his business. But we may get some great new stories to add to our collection by God providing a specific amount of money. And so if that be the case, all right, so we put the numbers, we wrestle through it. It's no magic, no, oh, I got this weird talking from God and he told me this. No, we just kind of agreed about it and we put the number down. And then when we did, Carol made the comment, she observed, she said, isn't it interesting? That number is literally the same number as what our, our uh, one year of our salary is. So we've been able to grow through the years. Some of you are further than that from us and others are, are well beyond that, uh, well behind that. That's not the point. It's can we see our faith growing and trusting God more and more and more? That's the faith walk that we want to be on. You know, somebody came to me last week or the week before and said, I'm just torn here. I, I want to give this amount, but my spouse wants to give far less. What do I do? There was no question in my mind. I said, you give the lesser amount. Not, shouldn't be a debate. You two are a team. Give the lesser amount where your spouse is at this point. You see, the important thing, don't miss this. It is not the amount of money you give. It's the condition of your heart. I said, so you give a little amount of money. Look at your heart. You want to give a large amount. That's what God wants. Don't miss the bigger picture. Now, to me, the issue is not, you know, oh, my goodness, are you going to give a lot of money? No, no, no. Are you in your faith walk? Are you saying I'm bumping up to the edge of the strong strength of my faith as far as I can go and maybe pushing a little further because I want my faith to grow? That's what we're after. So having now done that, now we see verses 5 through 8 to end the text. It says, who then is willing to consecrate himself this day to the Lord. He's challenging them. Now, I want you people to consecrate yourself. That word consecrate literally means to dedicate to a divine purpose. Literally saying, who will fill his hands and bring his hands full to the Lord? So he challenges, who of you will do that? Then we see the verses that, uh, that follow. He says, then the rulers of the father's households and the princes of the tribes of Israel and the commanders of thousands and hundreds with their, with the overseers over the king's work offered willingly and for the service for the house of God, they gave 5,000 talents and 10,000 10, derricks of gold and 10,000 talents of silver and 18 talents of brass and 100,000 ta talents of iron. And so whoever possessed Precious stones gave them to the treasury of the house of the Lord in care of Jehiel the Jershonite, whoever that is. <laughs> and there's the end of the scripture. So if you see what happened, first of all, David and then the leaders of Israel gave their gifts to say, your leadership is here. And our leadership has been working and preparing and praying a lot harder, I know, than probably most of in the church just because it's our responsibility to give leadership, to do it earlier and so forth. But what we like to do as we, as we close our time is we'd like to give the leadership of starting the process. Before we do that, to make our offerings, I'm going to ask that we consecrate ourselves. And I'd like to do that through the, a form of praying, just by praying to the Lord. 
uh, to consecrate, to dedicate ourselves for divine purposes. Let's do that beforehand. And then here's what I'm going to ask us to do. In our prayer, as we pray, I'm going to ask that you that are seekers trying to find answers to the Christian faith, that you might begin the process of consecrating yourself, saying, Lord, I want to dedicate myself to you. I really want to do that. And maybe invite him to invade your heart. And if and when he does that, I will guarantee you it will be because of the merit of Christ. It'll be because of his mercy, because his shed blood has covered the broken law of your heart. And Christian, when you and I pray, we want to consecrate ourselves, dedicate ourselves to divine purpose. And we say, God, for me and all that I have, I want to dedicate it to you. I want my faith to express that as strongly as possible. And when you do that, know this, that even consecration is a gift of God. It's the merit of Christ alone. We cannot merit a surrender in our own life. Even the surrender is a gift of his. So all glory always goes to him. What you give, don't say, am I proud of me? Because let me tell you, it's him that makes it possible. We celebrate his work long before we celebrate our work. But as we do, let's pray that right now. Let's pray. Father in heaven, I pray that you would grant us now to consecrate ourselves and separate ourselves unto you. And we make our offerings now as a way of saying we love you and that we're thankful. And so take our hearts, take our lives. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. You've been listening to the Perimeter Church Podcast. Perimeter Church is located at the corner of Highway 141 and Old Alabama Road in Johns Creek, Georgia. Please visit our website at www.perimeter.org for more information, to give us your feedback, and find other messages from our teaching team. Thanks for making this podcast a part of your day. Thank you.